Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the nation, the phone number, wherever you are, should you wish to be a part of this year program, 877-973-7425. Thank you for joining me today. I hope the weather's beautiful where you are. We have to focus on the big story. You know, we're, we're in this dogmatic season now. Uh, because of the Dobbs case, I was uh, e- emailing or texting back and forth on Twitter with a listener friend yesterday that he says it feels like all I've talked about is this abortion thing. And it's true. It's been such a big story, and it's not the actually big story. So many people, so many people are so focused on it, and it's not going to matter in November. And even the Democrats behind the scenes uh, are willing to admit it. The, the problem here is the economy. It's the economy stupid, as James Carville said in 1992 with Bill Clinton's election. It is the economy. The economy is what matters. Uh, and uh, there is seemingly some good news today, but problems. Here's CNBC's Rick Santelli. And on jobs, 428,000. This is our 12th month, an even dozen now over 400,000. I would have picked 410,000, so I would have been close. 406,000 is private payrolls, 55,000 well above expectations on manufacturing. And if we look at the work week, 34.6, same as last time. We were looking for a little bit more out of that. And here we go, the labor force participation rate. Everybody's looking at this, and it is a miss. 62.2, 62.2, that's two-tenths down from 62.4, our last look. And just to point out, where was it pre-COVID? Well, in February of 2020, it was 63.4. So the number looks good. The unemployment number looks good. In fact, it's 12 months of growth, small growth over time. But 12 months, we're almost back to pre-COVID levels in the job market. The problem is the labor force participation rate. It's We have fewer people out there uh, than what we've had before. Here's Brian Binberg also on CNN or CNBC. This participation rate stinks. This is a problem. It is going in the wrong direction, and it's at the root of everything we're seeing in this economy that's distorting the economy. 11.5 million open jobs, and businesses cannot get people off the sideline. Listen, I, I was uh, I, I went down uh, town and grabbed a sandwich earlier a little mom and pop sandwich shop and there was nobody in there nobody and i asked them how business was going i i I love this little place chicken salad a cup of chili and the lady says actually today is you're the fourth customer and for the last four days it's been swamped but it's mother's day weekend hey by the way it's mother's day weekend pay attention (laughs) don't get in trouble with mom um But she said it had been slammed. She said, our problem isn't the customers. Our problem is the employees. We can't keep them. She said, they come in, they work for a few days, and then they they never come back. We don't see them again. I was talking to a buddy of mine. He's a restaurateur north of Atlanta. He's paying over $15 an hour and health benefits and vacation time as if it's a full-time regular job and cannot keep staff. Cannot keep the staff. Uh, it's it's absolutely remarkable. And uh, there are other problems in the economy as well. Uh, NBC's, uh, what's this is, oh, hang on. I, I got to get his name right. Um, it is, where are my show notes clips? So I can tell you, um, 
Well, now I don't have his name, so never mind. Uh, It's not Binju. Binju's a friend of mine. Anyway, NBC. What I do hear right now is yes. In many ways, the Fed got caught behind the curve a little bit here, right? This idea that the Fed had talked about the transitory nature of inflation for months. And for the most part, many on Wall Street really believed it. A lot of experts, not just economists, but those people who are investors and traders out there, kind of believed that narrative to be true. The issue then happened with a series of events, not the least of which was the the war in Ukraine, all of the other commodity cost inflation issues that kind of go along with that, as well as fuel price, fuel price issues. All of those things then put the Fed in a very difficult spot because it was about credibility at that point. And right now, the, the investors I talk to basically say that Jay Powell is the right guy for the job. He is handling it the best way that he can. But the credibility is going to be at issue here, which is probably why, from an interest rate standpoint, the Fed has to make sure that it gets this thing under control. Because if its legal mandate is price stability and it can't do that, then the Fed share is going to be very, very much in the hot seat like he is already right now. That's a good point. Uh, Look, they've got to deal with the inflationary aspect of the economy. Uh, and it, we're not in a good situation. Austin Goldsby was the economic advisor to Barack Obama. He, too, was on CNBC this morning talking about this. Uh, well, hang on a second. That was screwed up wiring. There we go. Nothing happened in this report, I don't think, that is going to change the underlying fact. So in a way, it's the Goldilocks report, but it's Goldilocks in, a, in an awful situation. It's, it's not going to change. The Fed is still going to tighten. We're still up against this. Can we manage a soft landing? Nothing happened in this report, I don't think. Can we manage a soft landing? That's the question. Can we manage a soft landing? And I don't know that we can. It's what Jay Powell is saying, the Federal Reserve Chairman, in order to try to keep people calm down. You don't want irrational exuberance. You don't want people freaking out. But, I mean, there are some warning signs. Here's Steve Moore, uh, the conservative economist, advised Donald Trump. You look at the restaurant, the comeback from restaurants. It's all in red states. It's in cities like, you know, Fort Lauderdale and cities like Austin, Texas. Whereas in New York and Minneapolis and Chicago, you're not seeing that kind of comeback. You're not, uh, by the way, he's not being partisan there. That's that's honestly, that's the data. And a little more Rick Santelli on part of the problem. And I still say if there's one word about what the future of the world's economy looks like down the road and people aren't going to like this, it's about the cost of energy. If people want to keep energy prices high and the governments want to have secret meetings about really not being all that enamored with fossil fuel at this point in history, then we're all doomed to much slower economies down the road. He's telling the truth. It's just true. Energy is one of the biggest drivers of inflation, and inflation is what's spooking the markets right now. Mark Thiessen from the Washington Post. Inflation was already eating away everybody's paychecks, and now inflation and the stock market are eating away at their retirement savings. And for this president, the list of litany of worsts keeps getting worser. I mean, we already had the worst inflation in 40 years, worst gas prices on record, worst crime wave since the 1990s, worst border crisis in American history. Now we can add to that the worst labor shortage in American history, 11.5 record million unfilled jobs in this country, worst mortgage rates in 13 years and worse productivity since 1947. Uh, and we're on the cusp of a recession to, to put a cherry on top of it. This is a bad situation for this president, and he's not getting any good news. Back in 1992, I was a kid getting interested in politics. 
and George H.W. Bush was president of the United States. George H.W. Bush, unlike Joe Biden now, George H.W. Bush was literally the most popular American president since George Washington. In the history of polling and in the history of, of general support as best could be measured through press enthusiasm for an American president, George H.W. Bush was the most popular, not Ronald Reagan. George H.W. Bush was the most popular. Public opinion polling averages had him at 91% approval. You can't imagine, it is, you can't think of a president having that much level of support, which is why people said he's pretty much George Washington level support, 91% of the polls after the Gulf War. The story of George H.W. Bush was he was an American war hero. He had been a fighter pilot in World War II, uh, shot down, and was rescued by a submarine floating in the Pacific. Uh, Got into the oil business with his father, got elected to Congress, uh, became an appointee to the White House, uh, got into politics. He became the ambassador to China. He was the CIA director. He was uh, the chairman of the Republican National Committee. He was the moderate Republican running against Ronald Reagan to stop Ronald Reagan in 1980, who became Ronald Reagan's vice president to unite the GOP, served as vice president for eight years, and then was given Ronald Reagan's third term since Reagan couldn't have it. And the moment George H.W. Bush became his own man, his own president, people didn't like him as much. But before he got there, He rallied the world in a global coalition to repel Saddam Hussein out of Kuwait. It was a very big deal when I was a kid. And there was a massive celebration. It was the first major military victory for the United States of America since Vietnam. There had been minor military events, including Reagan with uh, Grenada, Panama, and others, but uh, with George H.W. Bush... This was the first major military engagement of modern warfare of the American military since Vietnam, complete with stealth bombers and M1A1 Abrams tanks and aircraft carriers in the Persian Gulf. It was a very big deal. We as a nation are somewhat used to war now over the last 20 years after 9-11, but it was something we had not seen since Vietnam. And we not only won, we won within weeks. I mean, it was not a long war. And American morale was restored. The, the, the funk the United States had been in as a nation that Ronald Reagan helped bring us out of was solidified with George H.W. Bush. And while all of this is going on, the Berlin Wall falls and he oversees the collapse of the Soviet Union and helps navigate Russia out of the post-Soviet era into a new modern era. There were screw-ups along the way, not because of George H.W. Bush, but he was beloved, absolutely beloved. And then the economy tanked. He broke his word on taxes. He raised them when he said, read my lips, no new taxes. The tax increases and other economic changes and a Federal Reserve rate hike caused a recession. And James Carville and Paul Begala ran Bill Clinton's campaign. And Bill Clinton was a child of the 60s. He smoked pot. He didn't inhale. He he was a draft dodger. All of the things American society said they abhorred. And James Carville's message was, it's the economy, stupid. It's the economy, stupid. All the other stuff doesn't matter. Bill Clinton's women problems don't matter. The economy is the only thing that matters. And Clinton still probably would not have won except for H. Ross Perot getting into the race. 
Now, it's speculative because if you're not voting for George H.W. Bush, you're voting for Ross Perot, the odds are a lot of the Perotites, they would have either gone to Clinton or stayed home, although there was after-the-fact polling suggesting they would have stayed, but you can't really believe the after-the-fact polling like that. There's no guarantee that Clinton would have won, but he did win, and he won on an economic message that uh, his campaign theme was a, a song, Don't Stop Thinking About Tomorrow. He said he was going to be the bridge to the 21st century. It was a message for the future, not the past. And essentially the whole message was it's time to leave the World War II generation behind and move to the boomer generation that's going to elevate us even further based on what that old generation did. George H.W. Bush is a nice guy, but it's time for him to go away. It's the economy, stupid. He's been in Washington so long, he's out of touch. They had an entire American media apparatus, including the New York Times, run a story about George H.W. Bush uh, not even recognizing recognizing one of the checkout scanners where you pass groceries over that it, and it was actually a completely fraudulent story it did not actually happen the guy who wrote the story Andrew uh, Rosenbaum who became the editorial page editor of the New York Times was not actually at the event the story had to be retracted the New York Times dragged its feet on retracting it it made it into syndicated stories all over the news and proved George H.W. Bush out of touch even though the event didn't actually happen and Bill Clinton got elected. It was the economy, stupid. I give you that history because it's the economy, stupid. Roe v. Wade doesn't matter. Critical theory doesn't matter. Teaching kindergartners anal sex doesn't matter. The economy is what matters. All those other things matter only to the extent the voters already hate the Democrats and that reinforces their hatred of the Democrats. But they hate the Democrats not because of those things per se. Some people do, parents certainly, but overwhelmingly it's the economy. And if you're mad at the president on the economy, you're going to be mad at him on all these other things. You think he made the economy worse. Now you think he's making schools worse. Now you think he's making culture worse. Now you think he's making crime worse. Now you think he's making everything bad because it's the economy, stupid. It's the economy, and they can't fix the economy, and they're giving up on trying to fix the economy. What they're now trying to do is say Republicans bad, don't vote Republican, Republicans bad, Donald Trump bad, insurrectionist party, except there's an unscalable fence now around the United States Supreme Court, not because of those January 6th Republicans but because of those pro-abortion Democrats. And it just so happens a majority of the public is actually favorable towards cracking down on abortion rights in this country. They're not really sympathetic. The media is. The media is highlighting the abortion rights activists ready to storm the Supreme Court, thinking all of America agrees with them. Americans don't. And this is a reinforcing feedback loop for America now, that the Democrats break everything they touch, including America itself. And that's showing up in the polling. And the Democrats forgot the fundamental basic lesson. It's the economy, stupid.
all those clips of audio and news stories about the economy, well, they're in the daily show notes email we send out at the start of the show where I get my show prep, you can get your show prep, you can get your life prep and day prep and news prep. All you do is text DATA to 33777. Uh, you can subscribe to the show notes email. Uh, you get it every day right when the show starts. In addition to all the other stuff, the video clips, uh, you'll even start when we start our conference back, get discounts for the conference, which I intend to bring back. Hi, Charlie. <laughs> we'll get there. Um, but uh, text data to 33777. Uh, the Social Security Administration has released the top 10 baby names of 2021. Now, what I find funny here is, is and I'll go through the list, number nine for girls is Evelyn. Uh, that's our daughter's name. Uh, when Christy and I were um, the planning our family and, and she was pregnant and we found out we were having a girl. We wanted a name that was not popular because at the time it was what Emma and Madison and, um, on and on. And we just, we did not. And what was the, the kid's name from, from friends? That was the big one back then. Um, our daughter's 16 now. And we, we looked on the list, like, let's get out of the top hundred. And we went down to about the, the 200th name on the list was Evelyn. Now there are like nine to 14 girls in her school named Evelyn. It's become popular. Uh, so the boys, uh, one through, actually, I'll go 10 to one. So number 10, boys, uh, Theodore, nine, Henry, eight, Lucas, seven, Benjamin, six, William, five, James, four, Elijah, three, Oliver, two, Noah, one, Liam. Uh, so you've got in there Benjamin, James, Elijah, and Noah, all nice biblical names there for the boys. Uh, for the females, Number 10, Harper, 9, Evelyn, 8, Mia, 7, Isabella, 6, Sophia, 5, Ava, 4, Amelia, 3, Charlotte, 2, Emma, 1, Olivia. I'm fairly confident we have neighbors and all of these girls' names are represented with all the neighbors around us. My gosh, everybody picking the same names. Go go to the Social Security Index. That They have the list of baby names um, at the, the Social Security. It's ssa.gov. And you go on there, you'll see the link to the baby's names. Scroll down in the baby's names and just go find the, like, the least popular name. And uh, you'll, be, you'll be better off. So you go down to... I'm looking at what in, in the 2010s, what's the number 200 name Rowan for a boy, uh, Isabella, I Z a, uh, Bella for a girl, Graham for a boy was 199 Cecilia for a girl. Those are nice names. Um, Bradley and Amaya 196. And you know, you do it that way. Oh, look, 184. There's father Abraham and Rebecca. So you name your kids, Abraham and Rebecca, the odds are, when your kids get to school, they'll be the only ones and they'll stand out as opposed to Madison and Ava and Noah and Liam. But I know a lot of people who know Liam and Liam is an awesome name. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson across the nation. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the show, 877-973-7425. I got a special guest, not a politician, not here to talk politics but here to talk about the reality of what is happening in Ukraine. 
Uh, journalist Greg Stebbin has been in Poland and Ukraine. Uh, he's been covering what's going on there, also helping raise money to buy ambulances for Ukraine. The Russians are bombing the ambulances, among other things. Uh, Greg joins me from Poland by phone. Greg, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's great to be here. So let, let me talk real quick, uh, and, and for those who want to know, the, 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 there's a fundraising opportunity if people want to help the people of Ukraine with ambulances. If you text DONATE to 33777, I'll send you guys a link uh, I saw on Greg's Twitter feed to be able to buy ambulances for the Ukrainians. I did not realize, Greg, that the Russians have been targeting ambulances. Yeah, so what's happening is, and I don't know if this is true in, in all battlegrounds, but in Ukraine, I know that ambulances, you know, you and I think about ambulances, you get sick or you have a car wreck and an ambulance comes and it's a tool of transport. It takes you to the hospital, right? But in Ukraine right now, ambulances are actually being used as hospitals. They're mobile hospitals. So if someone's injured, whether it be a civilian or a soldier, they can get help at the ambulance right there in the battleground where the the injury has happened instead of needing to be transported somewhere else. And so the Russians know that. And like you said, they target the ambulances and Ukraine has lost a lot of them. So there's a lot of organizations around the world raising money to replace those ambulances. I've been working with one of those organizations that this is crazy. This is a bunch of guys in Belgium who were educated in the U S they're like startup tech guys. They, formed their organization less than two months ago, and they've raised over a million dollars. And every penny they've raised and every penny we've helped them raise is going either towards ambulances or things like stuffing them full of medical supplies or the fuel to get them to the Ukrainian border. But the fact that a bunch of guys could get together and in two months figure out how to get the ambulances, how to get them to Ukraine, and how to raise a million dollars, you know, there's a lot of lessons there we can all learn from them. That's the truth. Now, why on earth do you decide to pack up, leave the comfort of your home, and go to a war zone? Um, Well, first of all, let me be really clear. I've spent my time on the border in Ukraine, on the western border, and in Poland. I have not gone to the war zone, and I've been very deliberate about that. I mean, when, when President Zelensky announced that they were creating a website for people to go and fight for Ukraine, I did go and check out that website. I mean, I would have gone and fought for Ukraine, but I'm 60 years old. I'm a little overweight. I'm not like the perfect guy to put a machine gun in the arms of. <laughs> and they're really looking for guys who are younger and have military training, which I don't have that either. But I, I want look, this conflict to me... Uh, first of all, I'm Jewish. You know, I in, in the years of my being raised, I heard about my family fleeing Russia, you know, at the turn of the century. Uh, there's just been a lot. Russia has a history of, of doing exactly what it's doing right now. And I took this war and this invasion very personally. I mean, my family's from Poland, from Ukraine, from that whole Soviet bloc area. And I just thought to myself, uh, particularly when it came to conversations about the Holocaust in my family, everyone over said, always said, never again. And I heard that over and over again as a kid, and I realized I did not want to look back on what ha- is happening in Ukraine and say to myself, I could have done more. And I have a long history of doing interviews on the radio, like the one we're doing right now, and I thought to myself, maybe I can go there and be the ears and eyes for people and tell them what I'm seeing and make sure people stay engaged because my, one of my big concerns is we're going to allow ourselves to be distracted 
And if we're distracted, I think that's part of Mr. Putin's plan. I mean, I think he knows if he draws this out long enough, people are going to get kind of bored of it. And when no one's looking, he can do things even worse than what he's done so far. So let's talk about what you're seeing on the ground there. I know there's a a massive human wave of refugees coming into Poland and and Western Ukraine itself has not been spared the war, uh, even though it's mostly been uh, Kiev and, and Eastern Ukraine. So what's it like there? Well, so I got here about a month ago, and truthfully, the huge wave had already happened. So they are estimating about 3 million Ukrainians came into Poland. Poland's not a very big country. I mean, it's, you know, it was 37 million people and another 3 million showed up. I've spent a lot of time in Warsaw, and they, they're saying they think about 300,000 Ukrainians are now living here. That increased the population of Warsaw by somewhere between 15 and 20 percent. Can you imagine if a, an additional 15 to 20 percent of people just showed up on your doorstep you know, almost overnight, it's, it takes its toll, right, in a lot of different ways. But the polls have been unbelievably gracious. Uh, you know, I mean, in the, in the early days, we all saw on the news, you know, people were opening their doors to strangers, come sleep on our sofa, sleep on our floor, you've got to sleep somewhere, providing them with food. I have a friend whose son was driving from Warsaw to the border and back over and over again to transport families from the border into Warsaw, and he was doing it in his Tesla. Now, I've never been in a Tesla. Can you imagine if you're a Ukrainian refugee and there's some guy at a Tesla, like, waving you, come on in, I know you're kind of dirty, you spent the last five days just trying to save your life, but get in my car, I'm going to drive you to Warsaw. That's really what the Polish people have done, and, and frankly, I think they deserve a special place in history when this conflict is over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, the polls, of course, if, if there's been such a tragedy of history there as, as the the great plains of Poland seeing the Russians storm through, the Germans storm through, the French storm through, everyone storm through. I, I think they've got to see what's happening in Ukraine and, and see the echoes of their own history in there. Uh, they are just such wonderful people. I, I think that's a big part of it. And, and you know, I'll confess, I mean, like, I'm a dumb guy that grew up in the United States. My my mastery of world history does not compare even to yours. I can tell by what you just said. I mean, I've learned a lot since I got here. But until you're here and you begin to, t- you begin to talk to people and you hear how imprinted on them world history is on them, because it's not something that happened far off. It happened to their fathers. It happened to their grandfathers. You know, they sat around talking about it like the elders in my family did, but again, it was all the way halfway around the world. It didn't happen down the block. And so the history of, even the history of Poland and Ukraine is full of conflict. And it's amazing to me how much the Poles have embraced the Ukrainians, just given their, their very, frankly, kind of checkered past together. Yeah, you're you're right on that one. That that is an aspect I, I think that probably hasn't gotten noted too much. Now, as for the Ukrainian refugees and and others fleeing, I mean, what do you hear from them um, in in the reports that come in? I know, for example, uh, there are expectations that the the Russians may declare they've captured Maripol when Victory Day comes up in a few days, and I realize that's a great deal distance from where you are. But I mean, as people stream over the border, what 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 are they talking about? Yeah, it doesn't, you know, frankly, May 9th does not seem very far away, and Mariupol doesn't feel very far away either. 
uh, because I'm meeting people from there, right? I mean, every day. So one of the things that's interesting about the Ukrainians that I've met, and, and I've heard this from lots of other people, and I've had some really interesting interactions because I've been doing, while I've been here, I've been doing a lot of volunteer work. At, we've all heard of World Central Kitchen. Uh, I've been at the train station where they come in from the border, and I'm the guy who hands them a cup of coffee, right? So I look in their eyes, and I see, you know, once they get to Warsaw and they're sitting in this tent and having their first meal, this is the point, I think, where they're really realizing, like, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. But one of the things that's so interesting is you talk to almost every Ukrainian, and what they're going to tell you is, I'm just waiting until I can go back. And in fact, now there's more Ukrainians going back than there are coming in. Now, that may have changed because there was some bombing in Lviv, which is on, you know, near the western border. But I was at the border right before that bombing happened. So the bombing hadn't happened yet. And there were more people going back than coming in. It, it's kind of gone down to a trickle now coming into Poland. But the big fear here in Poland is if, if, the, if the Russian strategy changes and there's a huge surge again, is Poland really going to be able to do what they are they going to be able to do it twice? And, you know, are they going to have the resources? Are they going to have the will? They're tired, too, and they deserve to be tired. Now, there is, and, and this is one of those where I'm, I'm catching on a spot. You may not even know the answer to this, but there's, due to a fluke of, of historic events, there's a tiny sliver of Russia completely surrounded by non-Russian territory called Kaliningrad, uh, and it borders in the north of Poland, big military installations there. The only Baltic seaport the Russians have that doesn't freeze over in the wintertime. Uh, are there concerns at all that you've heard in Poland about uh, the Russian presence there or, or what they may do after Ukraine, I, I, given the history there, I've got to imagine the Poles are somewhat concerned about people coming in. Am I allowed to say heck yes? <laughs> yes. yes, there's there's huge concern. Um, you know, when I one night when I was volunteering at the train station, you know, I had I was there all night with a Polish guy, and you know, one of the things he said to me is, he said, you know, we can't rely on just NATO. You know, our military has to be prepared to defend us if that's all we've got. They are absolutely concerned because one of the things we've seen in this war is that, you know, it's been one unexpected thing after another. So you can't discount anything. And look, I mean, if you look at a map after Ukraine, what's next? Well, one of the countries that's next is Poland. And again, go back in your history and, you know, it all used to be part of Russia or, you know, whatever you want to call the empire. And so, yes, you, you can't just discount that anything could happen. And I think that's where lots of polls have their heads right now. Now, is, uh, how do you see, I, I am concerned, and I share your concern, and I've read it now in, in the paper several times, that the um, the polls are really, uh, even more so than Romania and other, other countries, they're really taking in a lot of Ukrainian refugees. They could be getting overwhelmed. I mean, what, what are the needs right now that you see beyond raising money for ambulances for Ukraine? What, what are the big needs? Well, you know, it's interesting. When I first came here, um, my original idea in coming here was to raise money to buy anti-tank missiles. And, and, I, and I had thought of that for a lot of reasons. One was that, you know, they're, they're actually, if you get them from Ukraine, which has a huge military-industrial complex, they're not very expensive. And I thought, you know, there's a lot of people in America who, if they knew they could blow up a Russian tank for $20,000, would go, <laughs> I'll write a check for $20,000, or I'll right. get some friends, and, you know, we'll all chip in five grand or a thousand. But, but that kind of need, I think, is gone now because uh, Ukraine is getting 
so much assistance from so many places around the world. Now what the Ukrainians need, I mean, if you're just talking about, you know, what can you do with your dollars, they need simple things. They need food. They need diapers. They need, you know, baby formula. They need, you know, the basic stuff. And there's a lot of Ukrainians, if you go on Facebook, we've all seen it. There's a lot of people who are just, they're taking in money, they're buying stuff, and they've got a way to get it into Ukraine. And if you can support those people, too, that's great. I mean, you're helping an individual family instead of an organization. I mean, I'd love to have people donate to buy ambulances, but if you'd rather help support a family with a baby or a family get prescription drugs or whatever it is, do that. But whatever you can do, please do it, because these people are in desperate, desperate need. Well, listen, I, I'm afraid I got to leave it there. I, I could probably spend another hour talking to you, but <laughs> I don't want to make you do that either. I, I appreciate it so much that you're willing to stop by and talk about this. And again, folks, if you type the word, text the word donate to 33777, I'll send you back the link uh, to what Greg and I were talking about, or you can help fund ambulances in Ukraine. They need them desperately. And Greg, thank you so much for stopping by and spending some time with us. Thank you, Eric. It's really great to be here. Thank you. Greg Stebbin, uh, reporter in Poland at the border of Ukraine. Uh, folks, you can spend that money and help these people and fight the Russians. I mean, if you're a kid of the 80s, you always saw, I mean, you saw Red Dawn. You're not going to go over there and fight more likely than not. But you can spend the money to help fight. The other thing that you can also do is you can go to EdenPureDeals.com and clear the air with the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. Uh, the Ukrainians don't need them, but you might if the air in your house have pet odors, smoky odors, musty odors. The Eden Pure Thunderstorm eliminates those odors. Doesn't mask them. It eliminates them. You can get three of them. They fit in the palm of your hand. You plug them into the wall. They pack a wall up. You can also plug a USB cord in, use it in your car, which I have done, and it works. You go to EdenPureDeals.com. You put in the discount code ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K-3, and you will get three Eden Pure Thunderstorms for less than $200. You're saving $200, and you get free shipping. So you get one for upstairs, one for downstairs. Like I do, I keep one in my suitcase at all times. It is there. I travel with it, and it works. The Eden Pure Thunderstorm, EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is ERIC3. This is the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. Wherever you are nationwide, they can help your business grow. If you need access to large loans, $750,000 or more, reach out to First Liberty. Uh, good friends of mine, they've been doing this since the early 90s. FirstLibertyGA.com is the website. FirstLibertyGA.com. Uh, real quick, before I get to calls here, uh, and by the way, uh, we will take your calls today. Uh, we'll prioritize them. 877 uh, uh, for for perspective on where we're talking about in the world, because I think it's very useful for you all to understand this, uh, we oftentimes uh, forget uh, that Europe is so far north. Uh, our border with Canada, the long border across the, the Montana, the Dakotas, Idaho, and all that—that's the 49th parallel. We used to we I used to get confused and really think that was the 5440 line, 5440 or fight. No, it's the 49th parallel. The 49th parallel is the south end of Poland. And from the 49th to the 50th parallel, you're working your way north to the 50th parallel. Those are mountains. From the 50th parallel all the way to the Baltic 
it gets very flat in Poland. And it's been the plains of history. You've had the um, you, you've had the French have stormed through there. You've had the Mongolian horde storm through there. You had the Nazi storm through there. You've had the Russians storm through there. It used to be the Prussians living there, and so the the poles are very sensitive to invasion. That nor they're the the northern European plains is the technical geographic term for it. At the fifty second parallel and north, it flattens out. Man, it's it's flat into where Ukraine is, making it it easy for people to travel. But it's it's actually pretty far north when you think about. It. So it's still cold there. Where I'm in the south of the United States, I'm around the the north of the 30th parallel, but certainly in the southern United States, and it's warm here. It's still cold and rainy in Ukraine right now. It's a different setup there, far north than, than what we think. Now, uh, let's see. Do I have time? Uh, okay, when we come back, if you all are patient on the phones, I'll take your phone calls when we come back. Um, I've only got a I've only got a minute here. I want to be ju- do justice with your phone calls. The phone number again, 877-973-7425. Beyond phone calls, though, we got to talk about something else. Uh, who is leaking, speaking of Ukraine, our intelligence? New report out that it's American intelligence has been used to target the Russian generals for death. And it was Russian or it was American intelligence used to target the Russian ship, the Moskova, that was sunk. And now five more Russian ships have been sunk based on American intelligence that has been given to the Ukrainians. Why is this happening it's essentially telling the Russians we're responsible for killing your generals and sinking your ships. It could be interpreted as an act of war. And more and more people, including uh, John Kirby, the Pentagon spokesman, are saying, whoever's doing this, you need to cut it out. This is not productive, not helpful, not useful. And the response has been that, well, it makes the Russians know that that we know where they are and we're not afraid of them. That's what the Democrats are saying. My gut to this, my gut reaction is that this is the Biden administration putting politics ahead of national security because they want to be seen as doing something militarily competent to try to expunge Afghanistan from the back of people's minds. And all they're doing is provoking a Russian escalation as a result of it. And as much as I want to help Ukraine, I don't know that we want to be the ones escalating the situation with Russia. And that absolutely is going to happen if we keep telling the Russians we get credit for killing all your generals. And that's essentially what's happening here. We'll be back. Eric Erickson, Nationwide.